Welcome to How Life Changed, a podcast that features stories of real people and how their lives have changed as a result of COVID-19. I'm your host, John Noltner, and I'm glad you could join us. Change is a constant in life, but as a global community, we're now in the midst of unprecedented change as a result of the pandemic, and it's altering our work, home, and community lives in unexpected and profound ways. Each of us will experience this outbreak in our own unique fashion, each of us a single thread woven into the fabric of this historic event. Over the next 30 minutes or so, we'll explore just one of those threads, one person's story, and through that lens, hope to gain some human insight into the bigger picture of what's happening in our world today. We're recording this episode of How Life Changed on Thursday, April 16th, 2020. Today I'm talking with Deborah Doring, an artist and educator who lives in Harlem in New York City. Deborah, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for interviewing me, John. One of the things that really piqued my curiosity was your Facebook post of biking through Manhattan. And and I was just in Manhattan, what? eight weeks ago, seven weeks ago, to think of it being so sparsely populated now, to think of it being so vacant is a little mind-bending. And so I think that first-person account of what it was like to to bike through the city and what you observed as an artist and things like that would be really interesting. Okay. So, yes, the day that I biked to get bagels was um, the Wednesday before Easter. And that actually was our last official day before Easter. We had Thursday and Friday off. And I had been online with my tutoring student in the morning and I just was feeling very cramped here in the in the apartment. We live in an 850 square foot apartment in uh, Harlem. So we're near 125th Street and Madison Avenue. We live across from a very lovely park, Marcus Garvey Park, which has provided some outlet for us to get you know, out and walk around. But we really have tried to stay indoors as much as possible. But I'm, after tutoring in the morning, I was just like, I got to get out on the bike. And um, we saw that our favorite bagel place was still open. You could order online and then just come in and quickly pick up. So usually it's about a 40-minute bike ride, and I got one of the city bikes. We have a city bike subscription, which means you can check out a bike on the street and then ride to different areas and park your bike. Uh, You have like 45 minutes between stations. So I got the bike. I rode down um, Fifth Avenue, and I think that's when it really hit me that the traffic there was just hardly any traffic. And because we basically stayed in our little community here, our Harlem community, I think by taking that bike ride, I realized the magnitude of what had happened in the last few weeks, because the last time I had been in Midtown was just like two and a half weeks before. And I didn't take photos on the way to get the bagels, because I think it took me a while to digest it. But when I parked the bike, I realized I had only been on the bike 20 minutes. (laughs) I'm like, oh my gosh, that went so fast. And parked the bike, got the bagels, and then thought, well, 
I have enough time before I need to get back for my afternoon classes. I'm just going to, you know, take photos. And I stopped, I think, yeah, at 57th Street and Madison, and I did the selfie, and then I thought, okay, I'm going to take one looking west, look at one looking east, and I'm going to take one looking back. And um, I realized that there just weren't any cards, and there were hardly any people either. So then I thought, well, maybe I should head over to the Plaza Hotel, um, because that's a, ni- that's a nice corner of Central Park, and I thought maybe I could see what was going on in Central Park. And yeah, I mean, the one photo, I think that was actually my best photo because the plazas, you know, there in the left part of the photograph. And I'm happy to send you the, again, more photographs. I posted, I think, five or six. And then I kind of, you know, scanned. There was a clock that said like 10 after noon. And I'm thinking, this is, you know, midday on a Wednesday. And it's, it's just deserted. So then I rode up um, alongside Central Park there. And um, didn't stop too much. I think I stopped then by Ralph Lauren because that's such a beautiful building. And the sky was really beautiful too. But then I thought, oh, I remembered reading something about the tent hospital in Central Park. So I, um, oh, I think I hit the Met even before that. Yeah, I hit the Met. And there were the two women standing in front of the Met. And there, there was the only two people there. And the um, food trucks that are usually there, you know, serving people, closed down. I don't know if they operate them at all or why they even left them there. Usually they remove them. But I did write in my Facebook post that as I passed the, the women who were standing about six to eight feet apart, one yells to the other, and then my spaghetti colander broke. <laughs> so I caught that little piece of information as I as I rode on past on the plaza, you know, I wasn't even on the road at that point. Yeah. I don't even, I don't even know how to describe it. It was just, I didn't even really know what to think. I mean, a bus would pass occasionally. You did see a few people occasionally, but there really were not very many people out. I don't know if I just hit, you know, the right day or the right moment, but considering it was midday of a sunny day, there just were so few people out. And then kind of my last stop was the tent hospital, which I think was about around 90th Street. Um, And of course, you couldn't get very close. There was um, sort of like a little um, art tent set up not far from where they were letting people in. And um, there were some guards there. But because it was around lunchtime, I mean, many of the hospital workers were there in the tent, you know, near the tent and kind of lining up to get food. But again, all standing six feet apart. And yeah, and then I rode back up to Harlem and came back in and kind of looked over my photos and posted some of them. And, you know, it got a lot of response, which I thought was kind of odd because some of those photos, you know, we've seen other photos like that on the media and in the New York Times and on other postings. But I guess maybe too, right, because it was right before the Sunday of Easter. Um, I think that may be also for me a little bit why it was a poignant or heartfelt, um, just kind of the emptiness as we were heading into the holiday Easter weekend. 
And I think for me, because I had been out to New York so recently and because, I mean, I think I was there about two weeks before everything shut down. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and because of my love for the hustle and bustle of being Mm -hmm. in the village and being in in Times Square, I find those those photos of it devoid of people kind of haunting. It it was a really haunting experience. Now, of course, I did not go as far down on Manhattan as the East Village, and there might be more people there. Um, And I'm sure at certain times, maybe even now, there would be more people. And really, like a month ago, because the school that we teach at, that Glenn and I teach at, is in Midtown. So, I mean, we had been there like a month before, just as things were kind of shutting down, and even commented to each other, there seemed to be a lot more people than we thought would be there or should be there. So I think that contrast also kind of like what you said, you know, it happened sort of in a very short period of time. You know, even the stragglers, you know, made it look you know, somewhat normal to all of a sudden everything was very vacant. Well, tell me what it's like in Harlem in your neighborhood. Are you... I think you said you're going out for some walks in the park. Are you are you running out to grab coffee or are you brewing your coffee in, in the apartment? How, what's, what's your daily experience like? Okay, that's a good question. Well, daily experiences, we are allowing ourselves to sleep a little bit later. Nice. I mean, usually we're up around 6, 6.30 and now we're not getting out of bed to 7, maybe 7.15 which is nice. I mean, that's a nice thing. And then we get up, we do make our own coffee. We've kind of given up the Starbucks habit. Although, unfortunately, we've really fallen in love with a great coffee from uh, Brooklyn, Stumptown coffee. So we make Stumptown. Um, I usually set up my computers here on the dining room table. I get ready for my tutoring session. Glenn's sessions usually start a little bit later. We do have our sliding doors between us, but we can kind of hear each other talk to our students, which is a little bit distracting. Um, So usually from about nine to noon-ish, we're with students online. And then um, depending on the day, like today, after I finished with my students, I took the grocery list and I went to Whole Foods, which is still kind of our anchor grocery store. That's about a 10 minute walk from here. But we have also begun to patronize the smaller bodegas, which we had not done previously. And I feel good about that. I think we've discovered new resources for groceries than Whole Foods, which is, of course, big chain owned by Amazon. We would like to support the smaller stores. So I think that's been a good thing for us. About two and a half weeks ago, there now have always been lines when we go grocery shopping. So you always have to make sure you have enough time. And today I actually only waited about 10 minutes. And again, you have to wait, you know, six feet apart. There's usually some kind of guard at the front of the store, even in the smaller stores. And then they let in a certain number at the time, at a time they have clickers. And they've asked you to now wear masks at all times, gloves if possible, have a list, do not loiter, come in, do your shopping and leave as soon as possible because there are people waiting outside. In In our grocery stores, there's kind of like a plexiglass divider between you and the checkout person. I don't know if that's been happening in other places. There's small X's on the floor where you have to stand so that you're not too close to the checkout person. You bag your own groceries. There's no returns at all. I mean, you buy it, you take it. (laughs) 
Uh, they don't want to pay you for recycling anymore. So I just bring my recycling cans and drop them off. Um, then I come, you know, so then we're home uh, again, teaching usually in the afternoon. And then we usually definitely try and get out for at least a bike ride or a walk around the park. But again, I mean, the, the park is technically closed. The playground of the park is technically closed. So there's nobody in the swings, nobody on the jungle gyms over there. The dog park has been closed now for two weeks. So people who are walking their dogs are walking not in the area of the dog park. Um, yeah, so it's kind of, you walk into the park and it's a little bit sad, even though that there's other people there. Um, there's no normal events going on in the park. The trees have been beautiful. I mean, this has been a really, truly beautiful spring. And a lot of people have posted the flowering trees, the tulips. I mean, that's been kind of heartwarming is that there's a lot of color. And I'm glad that this is happening as we're heading into spring and summer, even though I know it might be harder for people to be indoors, just because it feels like we're moving toward life. I think if we were moving toward winter, this would be at least harder for me because you see kind of new life and there is sort of a sense of hope that we will get beyond this. I'm curious, Deb, what the mood is when you're standing in line for the bodega, when you're standing in line for Whole Foods. Are people patient with this process or are they being New Yorkers that are in a hurry or what, is, what does it feel like to you? That's a really good question. In my experience, everybody's been super nice. Okay, I've heard the reports, you know, where there's been fights over toilet paper. By the way, we've had no trouble locating toilet paper. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Sanitizing soaps and stuff like that are a little bit harder to find, but yeah, we haven't had any problem with toilet paper. So I don't know. I mean, I think if you go with the attitude that if somebody is a little bit cranky, you're just going to be extra kind to that person. I, I really haven't even really encountered people who are cranky. I think there's a sense of if you're not working in a hospital or if you're not really one of the frontline workers, you should be extra patient and extra kind. And we always try and thank the grocery store people for coming to work and be extra thankful for, you know, even saying hello to the guards as you go on in because this is tough for everybody. It's tough for everybody. So the more you can bring a sense of, you know, let's just try and be positive. I think that's the best way to go about this. And maybe because we are trying to be positive, people respond positively to us. So, right. yeah. But I've, it's what I've seen, seen around here too, as people get used to new ways of doing things and new sorts of normal. And it's, it's encouraging to me. And I, I hope that if this extends for weeks, if it extends for months, that we'll still be able to hold that sort of grace for one another. I agree. I think it will probably get a bit more difficult. I talked to a friend who said, oh, you know, there are signs of aggression here and there. Um, but again, I think you have to try and give people the benefit of the doubt. And I see that in my students too. I mean, some days are just not good for certain students. I had a student today who said right at the beginning of class, a friend of a friend died of COVID. Mm -hmm. And so I just said, you know, are you able to attend class? And how's this affecting you? He has to leave class early. Fine. You know, so uh, yeah, what can you do? You just have to try and 
sense where people are at and modulate, I think, your own attitude at that point. Yeah. And then, of course, you've probably heard of the 7 p.m. applause fest, you know, here in New York. Have you, you haven't heard about that? No, I haven't. Please tell oh, us. Oh, that's good. That's cool. Well, um, I, I think it started in lower Manhattan, and I don't even know how it started. But at 7 p.m. every night, people lean out their windows and applaud and cheer, and it's for the frontline workers. Now, I must admit, in this neighborhood, we can kind of hear it in the distance. We don't, because we're across from the park, there's nobody in the park doing that. But you can definitely hear it near one of our hospitals that are not too far from us. And yeah, it's, um, there's been, if you go on YouTube and probably Google, you know, New York cheers or something like that, you'll see the little videos of people banging pans and clapping every night at 7 PM. Yeah. I I don't even know if it has an official name, but it's basically the hour of applause and thank you for the frontline workers. Oh, I'll definitely check that out. Yeah. How, how about you in your circle? You, you and Glenn are both well, or do you know people that have? Well, it was uh, interesting because the first Sunday that we did church online, we did Zoom church, I think on March 15th. And, um, and there's a time for prayer requests and things like that. And there were some of the youth workers who were experiencing symptoms. So, I mean, of course, the last time we had seen those people in church was a week before. And they went into isolation. And at least one of them was definitely diagnosed with COVID. But she had a fairly mild, mild case. But we kind, we're kind of under the assumption that the, all the youth workers in our church ended up having a mild case of COVID. So those people we know directly. Other than that, well, we do have a, an artist friend who thought he had mild symptoms of COVID, possibly also because he and his wife run a, um, like a guest house. It's actually a Quaker church guest house here in Manhattan. And one of their residents did officially have COVID. And so they had to isolate that person. So we were kind of in touch with them to see, you know, were they going to get it or, you know, but they were able, I mean, except maybe him having some mild symptoms. Um, he's probably the person closest to us who may have had it. I mean, that's part of the frustrating thing too. I mean, some people, you know, have the heaviness in their chest, extreme tiredness, fever, a mild fever, you know, 99.5 degree fever for a few days, but they don't have the symptoms that warrant them getting tested. So they can't really officially say they've had COVID. So we have a couple of acquaintances who have had those symptoms, okay. but then they isolate themselves for seven to 10 days and, you know, mask up and glove up before they go out. And after a couple of weeks, it's done, you know. Yeah, the, I, that uncertainty is a little challenging. And hopefully if we get one of the antibody tests rolling, we will know if people have had it, if they have not, if they are going to be secure and and not so much at risk in the future. Yes, I personally feel like that's the next big step for us in the New York area because um, that would be nice. You know, there's so much talk across the country now. Well, is it time to light, loosen restrictions? Is it right. time to get back to life at quote unquote normal? And And these sorts of things, do you think 
as the restrictions are lifted that you personally are going to feel comfortable climbing on a crowded subway or walking through the thick of the crowd in Times Square or what what are your feelings about that? Yeah, I that's again, you know, you're asking good questions here. I don't know. I I can ride my bike to school. And especially if we would go back, like say the first week of June, which more and more, I don't think we will. I I don't think we'll be back this year, this school year. But um, I mean, certainly I'll probably be wearing my mask and gloves in crowded areas for as long as (laughs) there is even any question, you know, about is the virus really dying down or dying out? I mean, to me, eventually you have to kind of make a step of trust. As long as I know that if I did get a very, very bad respiratory illness, that I could be serviced at a hospital, you know? I mean, to me, that's kind of also another factor. The reason you don't want to get sick is because if you do end up getting severe symptoms, will there be a respirator? Will there be a room? You know? And so far what I'm reading in the online journals is that the demand for respirators has been able to be met. So, you know, even now, if, for example, if I had to do something, you know, where I would put myself at risk, I would at least feel I would be a candidate to get the emergency treatment that I would need right that you know but I don't have any respiratory problems I feel like both Glenn and I are in good health so I don't want to be overconfident but I also you know want to eventually get back into crowds without worrying about it and I was in Asia uh at the end of the year I was in in Bangkok, Thailand, and of course, in in many places in Asia, wearing a mask in public, uh, whether it's because of air pollution or whether it's because of uh, concerns about uh, the flu or anything like that, is is more of a cultural phenomenon than it yeah. has been here in the United States. And I, I guess after this, I wouldn't be surprised if it becomes a much more uh, common thing to see as we go through our day to day lives. I totally agree, and certainly the fact that we have a fairly substantial Asian population. In fact, our Asian students at times will wear a mask or have previously worn a mask if they're not feeling well. So I've sort of been through the school exposed to the culture of it being okay to have a mask as you're going through your daily activities. So yeah, I agree. I think that will be more acceptable for us. And I was just gifted a really cool Darth Vader uh, mask that I'm proud to wear out in public. So I'm not, uh, I'm not shy about doing that at all. That's great. I don't have a decorated one. I actually was very fortunate in the fact that because Glenn and I sometimes work with spray, spray paints, we had some extra N95 here that we had already used. I mean, we actually did end up donating five to a friend of a friend who's a nurse. But the ones that we had already used and might have had spray paint on them we've been using and kind of recycling. I mean, the, the elastic has broken, so we've had to repair the elastic. But right now I am wearing an old N95 one when I go out. Uh, 
Do you think you're going to go for another bike ride to explore deserted Manhattan? I would like to. Um, and then we did last Saturday go to the local farmer's market. Farmer's markets here have been deemed essential to mm-hmm. Manhattan because so much fresh produce is moved by the small farmers through Manhattan. And the line was huge. I mean, uh, fortunately, we hit kind of the booth we wanted to hit before the line got very big. But I do have a picture of Glenn standing in his red coat, you know, six feet apart from the next person waiting to get to the bread tent. And then I have a picture of kind of up the street, the 110th street, all the people, you know, waiting six feet apart for to get just in the little area of the farmer's market. Um, It's kind of nice to be interviewed about this because I hope I do really remember uh, that day and that ride. And, you know, when you try and duplicate something like that, and, and again, I hadn't really planned on having that experience it just kind of happen. Um, sometimes when you try and duplicate it, it's never quite as good. It's never quite the same. No. <laughs> uh, well, one of my goals for this podcast is to create it as a bit of a historical document so that we can come back and we can remember these little things about wearing a mask, about what the farmer's market looked like that day. And so I, uh, especially sitting in the middle of the Midwest, we read a lot about New York, but to hear a firsthand account of biking down the streets is really useful. I appreciate that. Cool. Cool. Well, thanks for asking me. I hope people will remember the compassion between people because I, I think that that is the majority of interactions here. You know, New Yorkers have the reputation of being kind of um, brusque and, and not personable, but um, I mean, there are people all from all over the world here. So there really is no one type of New Yorker. (laughs) And I think that type of international interaction has come through more than any type of brusqueness or I think compassion comes through. Mm, That's good to hear. Well, I think that comment about compassion is a really great place to wrap things up. Deborah, I want to thank you for taking the time to talk today. Um, Stay safe in Harlem, and I look forward to talking to you again. Thanks again for interviewing me, John, and I hope everything goes well with you and your family and this series of podcasts, and I look forward to the day that we can see each other face-to-face. I will look forward to that as well. Okay, take care, Deborah. Bye-bye Thanks for joining us for How Life Changed. I'm your host, John Noldner, and I look forward to seeing you next time. How Life Changed is a series produced by A Piece of My Mind, a multimedia arts project that uses storytelling to rediscover what connects us. You can find A Piece of My Mind on Instagram at A-P-O-M-M Stories, on Twitter at A Piece of My Mind 1, that's the numeral 1, Facebook and YouTube at A Piece of My Mind. Peace is always spelled out, P-E-A-C-E. And you can find all of those links on our website, apomm.net. That's the acronym for a piece of my mind.net. Listen to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts and tell a friend to listen too. Together, we'll see the world in new ways, one story at a time.